Well, good morning, church. We're going to get started. If you want to grab a seat, starting a new series today, which is exciting and good, and we're going to get to that this morning. But I walked in this morning, and uh, I uh, Luke questioned why I, why I had a smile on my face, which maybe I don't smile enough. But uh, he said, "Why are you smiling?" And I. I didn't give him an answer, but uh, uh, we, we were away last week, and it's just, it's just good to be back. It's when you walk into this place and you haven't been here for a week, you just realize, wow, uh, I really missed it. And, and, and we had the exciting um, privilege of going to Dubbo last week, so thank you for your prayers. Uh, we made it home safely, and uh, we went to the zoo, and that's about it. Um, that's, that's Dubbo. Our kids were extremely underwhelmed. Uh, Mel's family's from Dubbo, which, yes, that obviously explains a few things. And um, she, that's why she cooks so well and so lovely. Uh, but the kids hadn't been to Dubbo. We, we haven't been there for 10 years. And so they were unusually excited when they woke up the Thursday morning and started jumping around the house yelling, yay, it's Dubbo Day. And I thought, we have not really set a very good expectation here. And uh, so we drove in and one side and we were staying in a motel near the zoo on the other side, so it's about two and a half minutes, and, and we said, that's Dubbo. And uh, they, were, they were very underwhelmed. Uh, is there anyone else from Dubbo here today? Have I lost any friends? Okay, we're good. Excellent. Well, we're starting a new series today in church. We're having a look at uh, the book of First John and going to be working through that chapter by chapter over the next uh, a few weeks. And so um, today's going to be, I get the privilege of, of sharing the first week from obviously chapter number one, um, but we're going to, um, today's going to be like a little bit of history uh, a little bit of teaching, uh, a little bit of um, revelation, and, and hopefully by the end, a, a commitment to a whole lot of uncomfortable decisions that we often uh, need to make if we want to be salt and light as the church. So if you do have your Bibles, head over to First John. If you don't, it'll be on the screens this morning, and, uh, and, and that's good. But First John was written by, uh, by a guy named John, full of surprising questions and answers this morning, aren't I? And this is John, that was John the Evangelist, that was the John that, that walked with Jesus, one of his disciples, and also the author of the Gospel of John. And he, interestingly, is considered um, by scholars and historians to be the only disciple that actually lived to old age. All the other disciples were, were martyred for their faith. And then we have um, Judas, who went down his own line there. Uh, but John was considered to be the only one who, who actually had the opportunity to, to live out his days. Although he was exiled, I believe. Um, but he, he was an old man. And in this book, he, he uh, authored, or this letter, uh, was around 95 to 110 A.D., so quite a few years after his time with Jesus, which is interesting because uh, scholars also believe that John was only about 17 or 18 years old 
when he was called by Jesus to be a disciple. Is anyone 17 or 18? Anyone wish they still were? There we go. That gets the response. And, uh, and so he wrote this uh, while living in Ephesus towards the, the end of his life. So after living a life of being called to, to walk with Jesus from a very young age, considering the culture at that time, uh, right through all the years of, of being an evangelist and planning churches and traveling all through Asia Minor. And, uh, and here he is, possibly in his 80s, sitting down to write some wisdom that he has learned over this life that he has spent dedicated and committed uh, to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's not surprising that the main theme of the book is love and fellowship with God. But it's also believed, and, and here, here is uh, something very interesting, that it was he, he wrote it particularly to counter a belief called docetism. I had to YouTube that to see how to pronounce it. Couldn't find it anywhere. Docetism, it was actually a belief that around this time, around 100 AD, throughout Asia Minor and, and the, the Christian faith that was spreading throughout the land, that, that they were led by a few, a few influential people that were starting to say that Jesus was never human. The Greek word that, uh, for docetism explains things like phantom or apparition. And so there was a belief that was spreading across this area of the world that Jesus wasn't actually human, that he was a celestial being or a celestial substance, a phantom. And therefore, all the sufferings, the crucifixion, the trials and the testing that that are so much a part of our faith and our belief in him as a savior were not true. They were just apparent because he wasn't actually human. And so it's believed that, that it was this belief that was spreading throughout the church of that day that caused John to want to author this work and get it out there. And we can understand that if we have a look at the the first half of this chapter that we're looking at today, because it says, reading from verse 1, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes Touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and he was revealed to us. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So who better to write this, this book, this, this work here, that is to counteract a belief that Jesus was not human than one of the only men left alive that actually walked with Him? And that's the purpose of his first half of the chapter here is, is, to, is to give evidence that, hey, you might be hearing these, these words, these other influential people who are saying this thing about Jesus, that he wasn't human, 
that he was just an apparition, a phantom, a celestial being. But hey, I'm the man that actually walked with him. I'm the only disciple left alive that can tell you the evidence of the fact that for three years I traveled with this man. I was with this man. I'm the evidence that you need. And when you're in fellowship with me, you can agree with that. And in the context of our study and and why we're going to look at this as a church is, is continuing to consider how we need to be salt and light to our worlds. How we need to be the church and be salt and light to our worlds. And I use the plural there intentionally. Worlds. Not the world, but our worlds. Because I, I believe the greatest message that we have from our, from our vision and our goal and our theme that we have in church is that each one of us represents a world. There is a world that every week you are within. Your workplace, your family, your neighborhood, your sporting groups, your high schools, all the people that you interact with, that is your world. That is the world that you can influence. But as we, as a community of believers, as a group of people who come together under the name of Jesus but call ourselves North Lakes, as we influence our worlds, then together as a church family, perhaps we can impact the world. Because there's worlds that you reach every single week that the person next to you cannot reach. There are worlds that, as a church... Or as individuals, we cannot influence or impact with the message of Jesus Christ. But together, as we be the church, and as individuals, we go and be salt and light in our worlds, then the message of Jesus Christ, the hope, the gospel, can be taken to the world. See, when what's interesting, uh, reading a lot about... Uh, John is when when John was a 17 18 year old and he was he was uh called by Jesus to be his disciple uh, he and his brother James they got given a nickname now maybe Jesus was a little bit Australian just had a little bit in him and just had to nickname everyone Uh, but these boys John they got the nickname of the sons of thunder no I mean, like, if I was going to get a nickname from Jesus, or if I had to choose a nickname or or whatever, Sons of Thunder is a pretty cool nickname. Like, I can imagine when Jesus was traveling around and he he turned up to a group of Pharisees or into the synagogue and he had a couple of his guys with him and he's like, hey, everyone, um, this is Thomas. He's the doubter. I mean, not a great nickname. Here's, Here's Peter, Simon Peter, but talk about him later and these two these are the sons of thunder maybe it's just me but I would love to have a nickname like that but really what's um what I find interesting about that is 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 they were named the sons of thunder because they were fiery because they would they would fly off the handle because they would react because they were they were cranky and that's obviously why I never get called sons of the son of thunder because I'm nice and uh and so you laugh at that one. Um, but it, they, he, they get, got called this because of how they behaved. But if you know, as you work through the Bible, that John ended up being called the beloved disciple, the one that was loved. It's mentioned six times in the Gospel of John, which 
he actually authored, so <laughs> might not know about that, but he is referred to as the beloved disciple. So in time spent with Jesus, in time in the presence of Jesus, in, in, in learning to be salt and light, he went from a man who was known as the son of thunder because he was fiery, because he was reactionary, because he flew off the handle, because he did all those things, in a few short years went to being known forever as the beloved disciple, the one who was loved. So as we study First John, as we move through it, I think it's a great opportunity for us to be as a church, as a group of individuals who are out to influence our individual worlds, if we can learn from a man who at the end of his life is giving wisdom on love and fellowship after he had his own transition from being someone who was known as a hothead to being someone who everybody loved, then there's great value and great wisdom in this, in how we can be salt and light. Because ultimately, the evidence of Jesus, remember this docetism that he was addressing, in a world where there was misbelief or disbelief on, in Jesus, which, come on, isn't that something that has not changed in the last 2,000 years almost? a misbelief or a disbelief in who Jesus is, encountering that, he had the evidence of walking with him. But John 13 verse 35, his own gospel again says, your love for one another another, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So in a day and age where docetism perhaps still exists, where Jesus is just a mythological story, where he perhaps was a phantom, where he wasn't human. The best way that we can counter it is to go into our individual worlds and be salt and light, to show love and fellowship to people around us because like Jesus said, it's our love for one another that will prove, that will give the evidence to the world that he exists and that we are followers of him. For me, I think about it as, a, as, as people, as followers of Christ, we need to be uh, the same, same, but different. Now, I'm stealing this from, from Joel, who a couple of years ago after a trip to Bali, he, uh, he preached this amazing message to our youth ministry about being the same, same, but different from Romans 12 about being in the world but not of the world, about not conforming to the culture and, and thoughts along those lines. But, but his story goes back to, um, to being, and if you've been to, to Bali, you may have the privilege of knowing what the stores are like over there. And he was referring to how you can walk into a shop with, with your Nikes on and you can point to some Nikes on the wall and say, same and the response would be, oh, same, same, but different. A little bit different. You can walk in with your Nikes that you purchased from the Nike store at Charlestown Square. And they will be the same. They will look the same on the outside. Everything will appear the same. They won't come in an official box. But the fact is that they are a little bit different. Because the Nikes that you walked in with are authentic. They're genuine. They're real. They're of a higher quality. They're authorized. There's a difference about the Nikes that you walk in with than the ones that are 
possibly, not going to accuse anyone, but maybe not officially authentic, guaranteed Nikes on the wall. They're the same, but the ones that you wear are a little bit different because they're authentic. And I believe that analogy works for us as a church as we go and be salt and light. We are, we are to be the same, same in the world that we live, but a little bit different. Because when it comes down to it, behind the scenes, there's an authenticity about who we are. There's a realness. There's a warranty that comes with what we say and what we do. There's a quality that can be expected because we do have a difference about us. Romans 12.2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. And I love what Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19 to 23. He said, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law, even though I am not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share its blessings. Paul says that as he was traveling around, bringing salt and light to that area of the world, for him it was about being the same, same, but different. About not being exactly the same and reacting the same and having the same set of standards. He said uh, in verse 21, but I do not ignore the law of God. I, I obey the law of Christ. That was the difference that made him stand out. Although he was same, same in the world that he was a part of, just like the worlds that we are in every week, there was still a difference about him because he did not ignore the law of God and he obeyed the law of Christ in everything that he did. There was an authenticity about who he was and said he was. I was talking to a guy this week that, that I work with and, um, and he's, he's, a, he's a great example of being same, same but different. And he, he was telling me, he, he's part of a, a Christian bikey club and he, he comes from a, from a history of unredeemed involvement in bikey clubs and he was telling me how they they love getting young men along to their gatherings they do a men's shed gathering and he said the greatest thing that we love to show them is that they don't have to turn into Ned Flanders when they become a Christian he said they he loves to show young people that they can still be who they are. They can still be Jews to the Jews. They can still be Gentiles to the Gentiles. But they can have something different about them inside them that allows them to reach their world. And that's really the world that he lives in. He still looks 
and sounds like the world he came out of, but inside of him there is a difference. Inside of him there is something that allows him to stand out from the crowd when he is in the midst of them and be authentic and be real about his relationship for God and his love for other people. When I was, uh, when I was young, uh, my father was in the Air Force and we were blessed that, that dad didn't get posted around too much and we, didn't, we, we fortunately didn't have to, to move a lot. But when I just turned eight years old, we moved to Melbourne for a year and a half. And, um, and so I, I still had, a, a, when we got there, a lot of emotional blackmail I could hold over my parents because they pulled me out of school, out, away from friends and family. And uh, <laughs> I'm getting some parents looking at me with concerned looks. That's all right. Just don't let your kids listen to the podcast. Um, hey, school's back. And all the parents said, oh, sounds like a whole bunch of tired parents. But I still had some emotional blackmail I could hold over my parents because they pulled me out of soccer and and uh, which is probably a good thing, and away from school and, you know, moved a thousand kilometers away and planted me in a new spot and said, go make friends. And, and so I used this against them because we, we went to a, a, a welcome to Melbourne party with one of dad's friends that he trained with back in the day. And he, um, their kids had pet mice. And so I used this against my parents and said, you've done all this to me now, I think you should buy me some pet mice. So we went along to the pet shop and got a nice, neat little cage and it was all good. And we went round to Steve's house and, and Steve got for us two male mice uh, who, being eight years old, I named them Mickey and Pluto. And uh, it was very interesting because not too long later, it turned out that Pluto was Minnie. And uh, it was quite an eye-opening experience when my two male mice suddenly became parents. And, uh, but it was good. In six months, we went from having two mice to having close to 60. And um, I started a little business. It was great. I was selling them to the pet shop, who I think may have used them for snake food. Uh, but that's okay. I was the wholesaler, not the retailer. And I, I would collect my 50 cents per per mouse that I delivered and reinvest it back in my business and I had big cage and all was going well until the cat next door got Minnie. And we got her back, but she just wasn't the same. Uh, but it's, it's interesting how when I was thinking about this same, same, but different, how so often, and stick with me for a moment, things can look the same. But sometimes when, when it's away from the public eye, when things are no longer part of the big crowd, it's when there's something that is different about the person that makes the entire difference. And obviously in the case when you, when you think you're getting two male mice and you end up with a male and a female, things are going to happen and we're not going to go there today. But there's, the reality is that we can still live in a world where we look the same, same. We can still be out there and influence our world for salt and light without having to turn all Ned Flanders and be different about things. But at the end of the day, there's something that's different inside of us. There's something that's real about us. There's a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a life change that's happened within us. That even though it might look the same, same, there's still something different about us. 
that allows us to stand out. Because if there's no difference, then is there really a difference on the inside? We can be the same, same, but if we don't stand out, then how can we be salt and light? Let's have a look at the second half of the chapter, and I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase this morning, starting from verse 5. It says, This, in essence, is the message we heard from Christ, and we are passing on to you. God is light, pure light. There's not a trace of darkness in him. If we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim, but if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another. As the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's son, purges all our sin. If we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, make a clean breast of them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. If we claim that we've never sinned, we are out and out. We out and, we out, and out contradict God. Make a liar out of him. A claim like that only shows off our ignorance of God. Verse 6 is the key scripture that I want to have a look at this morning. If we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. We need to be the same, same, but different to stand out. This week I, I watched a movie with, with my kids that I, I've seen a few times before. It's called Inside Out. And it's a great little movie talking about feelings and emotions and all that kind of stuff. Me and the boys just like laughing at the funny stuff, not the emotional stuff. But there's, there's one part in it that, that shares this idea that there are times in our life where a memory or something that happens becomes a core memory and forms a core value in our life. Something that happens, a catalyst, something that changes our thinking. And it's not just an event that happens, it's not just a memory, but it's something that becomes a foundation for the rest of our life, a value that we base our life on. And it's a great little analogy. And I've realized in my life that one of the greatest regrets that I have actually fuels a core value. That means that I want to walk in the light and I want to stand out from the crowd whilst being in the world that I influence. And that was when I was in high school. I must have been 15 or 16. And uh, I get to school on a Monday and this is before mobile phones and social networks, so you don't have any idea what your friends are doing on the weekend. And one of my friends says to me, I, I tried to call you last night and the phone just kept ringing out. And I just said, yeah, I would have been at church. And it was like a scene out of a movie where everyone pauses. You know, kids stop kicking soccer balls and think, what did he say? And people start choking on their food and, 
And, and then just like one of those scenes and he looks at me and says, you go to church? I'm like, yeah, I go to church. He's like, is this a new thing? Like, well, no, no, my parents dragged me along since I was a kid, but now I, you know, I choose to go to church. And what formed that core value in my life, and I don't think it happened at that point, I think it was something I realized later when that memory kept popping up in my head, I think, what was I doing or not doing that made the people that I spend the most amount of hours with in a week, my school friends, be shocked by the fact that I went to church. Now, I don't consider myself to have been a bad kid. You know, I I wasn't a, a naughty child talk to my parents about that they might see it differently but I, I wasn't the kid at school who was living the, a life of behaviors and actions that would have I thought would have shocked someone to hear that I was a follower of Christ but yet my friends were shocked and could not believe that I went to church And it's at some point in my life since then, with that core memory, I've turned that into a core value for myself that I don't ever want to be so same, same in my world without difference. In the world that God has placed me in to influence for the message of Jesus Christ, that it ever causes anyone to be shocked or surprised that I'm a follower of Christ. I want that to be a core value in my life that never does anyone have a paused moment of disbelief or surprise. I would rather, and I do prefer, to have a goal that people actually bring it up with me before I have to mention anything at all. I love in my job meeting young people and spending time with them when they say to me, are you a churchy or are you a Christian? And I think, yes, I am. And I love that because it means that what I'm doing in my life is allowing me to be same, same, to connect with the world that I'm in, but different enough that I stand out that there's something authentic and genuine about the Nikes that I'm wearing as opposed to the ones that aren't real. And that's the core value that, that I want to have in, in my life. Francis of Assisi is credited to saying, but actually there's no written proof, according to Wikipedia, um, that he actually said this. But he said, preach Jesus at all times. And if necessary, use words. Now, isn't that a challenge? In the world that we have been called to be a part of and influence, wherever you're positioned at this time, to be salt and light and bring the message of Jesus Christ is not all about getting dead poet society inspired and jumping up on a desk and preaching in the middle of your workplace, but it's rather just being who you are, but standing out as being somebody different because of the authenticity and the realness that's inside your life. 
It's a great quote, and if, if Francis didn't say it, I would still be claiming it. But preach Jesus, and if necessary, use words. Three things I want to pull out of 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to do these quick. Don't, don't be concerned. Wow, he's only getting to his first point. But, but I just think like 15 months we've been studying together as a church about being the church and being salt and light. So I, I don't know that we need to kind of break things apart anymore, but perhaps just talk about three decisions or actions or uncomfortable things that we might need to commit to, to go and be salt and light based on the fact that we are positioned in a world that needs the evidence of Jesus Christ through our love for each other by the way that we are the same to them but different. Okay? Good. All right, so three things that we can get from the second half of this chapter and I believe are decisions that we can make is to decide to walk in the light. Romans 12 says, and I love this verse, and we talk about this a lot to the young people at Wildfire, is to take your everyday, ordinary life and place it before God as a living sacrifice. You're eating, you're breathing, you're working, everything that you do. That's the message translation, and I just love the way that it says, don't just walk in the light and give your life to God for Sundays and for Fridays and for the times that you're at church, but in everything that you do, your everyday, ordinary life, not the special good deeds that we do, not the times that we're rostered on street safe to go and be salt and light, but in every simple thing that we do every day, our eating, our breathing, our work, they are the mission fields that we have been positioned for to be salt and light. And God actually doesn't call us to do anything except to just give our lives as a living sacrifice in the ordinary, everyday things that we do. Simply to walk in the light every single day of the week, 24-7, to be the same, same, but different everywhere that we are. The second thing is to have fellowship with one another, which is one of the strongest themes that comes through this whole book. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You, you can't encourage someone if you're standing alone. You can only encourage people when you are together. In Hebrews 10 verse 24, the heading in my Bible says, A call to persevere. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I think a great decision that we can make to be salt and light is to to have fellowship with one another, to be a part of what's happening, to join a life group perhaps, get in a group of people who are going to encourage us, to motivate us, to keep us accountable on whether we're walking in the light every day to ensure that we're living a life that doesn't cause surprise when they hear about our faith or our belief or why we're different. A life group is a great way of doing that, being surrounded by those people who will keep you encouraged, keep you motivated. And I love that the heading for that verse from Hebrews is a call to persevere. We can't do it by ourselves. We have to do it together in fellowship as a community. That's why life groups are great. Alpha, 
connect groups at wildfire, whatever it might be, a group of people who come together with the call and the mandate to influence their worlds together and to help each other do it. And thirdly, admit that we need a saviour, that we are all sinners. Until we see ourselves as sinners, we will never see our need for a saviour. And I love this passage from Isaiah 64. Verse 6 says, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, the good things that we do in our life, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. I think a great decision that we can make is to realize that not only can we not do it without each other, we also can't do it without Jesus. We need to admit that regardless of the good things that we have done, the good things that we do in living our ordinary life, we are all infected and impure with sin. And those good deeds are nothing but filthy rags unless we have Jesus in our life. He says in John 15, very popular passage of scripture, he says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And whilst ever we just remain to be good people who do good things and not realize that we are the sinners that is talked about in Isaiah, then we will never realize that we need to be connected to a vine, that we are simply just a branch. And it is then that we can produce much fruit For apart from me, you can do nothing. And why I think this is such, well, obviously it's the the foundation of our belief, but why I believe that it's an important action to take every day is because we need to realize that whilst we need a Savior, our worlds are full of people who know, who don't know, that a Savior is there for them that there's a message of hope and life, that there's forgiveness, that there's healing. And the only way that they know it, the only evidence that they will ever have is the person that we look at in the mirror every day. person sitting next to you right now. Our love for one another, the fact that we will put ourselves in a world but be different to the culture that's there, have a different authenticity about us. That is the evidence, our love for one another, that will tell a world and show a world just how much they need a saviour. So they're the three things, the three decisions that I believe we can get from this second half of chapter one, to walk in the light, to have fellowship, and to admit that we need a saviour. Let me pray as we finish. Lord, we thank you that um, for some reason you have entrusted us, mere human beings, to take your message to the world, Lord. And we thank you for the call upon this church to do something significant. We thank you for the individuals here who are called to influence their worlds. And Lord, we pray that together we would impact this community 
this nation, this world, with a message of hope, with a message of a saviour, with a message of Jesus Christ. Lord, so as we go this week, would you help us to walk in the light in everything that we do? Would your Holy Spirit be with us as a church to prompt us and to guide our steps every day? Would you continue to help us to be in fellowship with one another? I pray for our life groups that they would be strong, that they would be growing, that they would be places of accountability for each other as we take on this mission to influence our world. And Lord, we thank you that without you, we are nothing. That without the hope that we have in you, our life would not even exist. And Lord, I pray that this week as we go, that we would just see mighty changes in our lives. As we walk in the light, we would have opportunities to share through our behavior and our actions in the worlds that we live. And I pray that you bless us all in what we do. Thank you, Lord.